0: Investing should be easy, right? For most people though, the process of investing can be daunting and savvy investing, impossible. Here at Alliant Retirement and Investment Services, we don't think it should be that way. So we asked two of our financial consultants, Christian Chapluha and Tom Davia, to share their advice with you. They're here to walk us through the fundamentals of investing so we can make informed and better decisions with our money and what we need to do to prepare for
1: the road ahead. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 16 of our Invest Savvy podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Tom Davia, and a financial consultant with Alliant Retirement and Investment Services. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Gabe Yule, long-term care specialist with Bright House Financial, formerly MetLife, a leading provider of hybrid long-term care, Today, we're going to be talking about, of course, long-term care coverage. As many of you may already know, nursing home facility costs are as much as $8,000 a month, and we know that number is going to increase in the future. So today, we're going to talk about the history of long-term care, what long-term care planning currently looks like, and who needs this type of insurance. So you can never know for sure if you will need long-term care. Maybe you'll never need it, but an unexpected accident illness or injury can change your needs and sometimes suddenly. So the best time to think about long-term care insurance is before you need it. So with that said, Gabe, thank you for joining me today. If you don't mind, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Absolutely. So Gabe Ewell, I'm the life insurance long-term care specialist for Bright House here in the state of Illinois. So what we've been doing is trying to have more of these conversations, Tom, which is why I thought this was such a great idea. So thank you for inviting me on. We're really an advocate for think about your future, right? Build for what's ahead. So this is one of those topics where we need to confront and conquer that final frontier in retirement. And one thing that I'm always talking about is people are living longer. Our healthcare system has done a good job with longevity. Now we need to do some longevity planning. How are we going to make sure we don't outlive our assets? How are we going to protect our retirement income? And one of the biggest threat to people's retirement income, Tom, it's the rising cost of healthcare. And that's what we're trying to address how do we address that risk? How do we have that conversation with people? I think that's why you and I speaking today is so important.
1: Yes, totally agree. This is a a big topic. There's a lot to talk about. And of course, in our podcast, we try to keep these episodes about 20 minutes. So we're going to give you a general overview, tell you about as much as we can today. And then of course, we also encourage you if this is something you'd like to learn more about to contact us here at Alliance and we can help you out with some of these decisions. Okay, Gabe, so I think a good place to start for our topic today is how long-term care planning has changed maybe over the last 10 years, kind of what's traditional long-term care insurance and what has happened to those policies and really what's available now.
2: Absolutely. So I'm going to jump back a little bit further just to give people a scope. So long-term care insurance policies began in the 1980s. So they've clearly evolved from the 1980s till now when we're talking in 2023, But really what you've seen over the past 10 years is the market in the 80s began with traditional long-term care policies, and those were still pretty prevalent up to about 10 years ago. You've seen this acceleration where these traditional long-term care policies, and when I say traditional long-term care policies, I'm talking about policies that do not have a cash value that you are paying into quarterly, semi-annually, or annually. Think about it like your car insurance, where I'm paying into this policy it provides me protection as long as I pay into it. However, rates were increasing dramatically 10, 15, 20 years ago. Insurance companies were increasing the premiums on people holding those contracts. So what you've seen is, one, a large number of policyholders complaining about these increasing premiums as they've reached their later stages of life. And two, you've seen carriers just drop out of the market, meaning insurance companies are no longer offering those policies. To my knowledge, there's only two carriers left, maybe three that are offering them right and really you've seen that space shift people want to define the amount of money they're going to invest in their long-term care plan which is why you've seen the rise of hybrid contracts and when i say hybrid policies i mean it's a policy that is providing two things life insurance if you never use it meaning i just die i never need it for long-term care my beneficiaries my estate gets a death benefit but most importantly the hybrid policies are providing leverage They're multiplying someone's investment for that long-term care, that healthcare planning component in the future. You've really seen the industry shift dramatically to the hybrid space, where if you just look at volume of sales across the United States, hybrid policies are far, far more invested in than any traditional policies out there in the market.
1: And I'm sure some of us may experience this, or I've had some clients who've brought me long-term care statements or or policy bills that they've seen their premiums increase 30% a year, 40% a year. And there's also warning letters that those costs may increase in the future for them as well. So definitely something to keep in mind when we look at the difference between a traditional policy and these new hybrid
2: that was my Thanksgiving this past year. My father-in-law came and showed me a statement from a traditional long-term care carrier. And it was a 40% increase on those premiums. So they're out there for sure.
1: Those are tough conversations. (laughs) So just switching gears here a little bit, what is the risk of not having long-term care coverage or not having these types of conversations? A lot of times we talk about Medicare and Medicare does not cover long-term care. I think it covers the first 90 days or so, but beyond that, What's really the risk here?
2: One way that we like to think about it and kind of talk about it is everybody has a plan presently for long-term care. Essentially, you have a plan by default, meaning the stats out there, there's a 70% chance of needing long-term care. So their current plan is, I hope I don't outlive my retirement assets that I've saved for 30 or 40 years and built up, and I don't have to spend them down aggressively by paying for these rising costs of healthcare in the future. So that is everybody's plan by default. We're trying to get people to have a plan by design meeting. I'm going to think about this when I'm younger, right before I'm in my 80s or beyond. How do I establish a plan by design where I can leverage my money? I can get tax advantages from being invested in this product. And if I don't use it, I get a death benefit, right? Right. So so that's really where we're trying to get people to think about this. When I'm approaching retirement, what are those boxes that I have left to check? How do I address healthcare costs? Hey, let's try to have this planned by design. There's a lot of different options out there. And that's where working with a financial professional can help you decide which way is the best way to go.
1: With that said, if we have some listeners that are thinking about this, can you define what an ideal age is for somebody to look at long-term care coverage?
2: 50 to 65 is where you see the bulk of these policies being written. Companies can go older than that. They can go younger than that too. But 50 makes sense for a lot of people from a life standpoint. If they have children, the children may be independent by that point or starting to get there. If I'm trying to retire at just say 65, what are those boxes that I need to check in my financial plan over the next 15 years to address these risks and make sure I'm in a good financial state? So I would say age, we're talking 50 to 65 is where most of these conversations come in play. Also, the younger you are, these policies do require underwriting. So if I'm 50, I'm less likely to have issues than if I'm 60 trying to get out of policy. Every year you age up and there's stats on this the less likely people are to get approved by age. Sure, sure.
1: We talked about default versus design. So we obviously wanna be in the design category. Yes. We know our ages. We know that between 50 and 65 is an ideal age to look at something like this. So now that we bought into a product like this or we have some coverage, how do I get paid? How does BrightHouse send me money for some long-term care expenses?
2: So there's two ways. In the long-term care world that people can receive benefits, one is called a reimbursement policy. So there's companies out there that offer reimbursement contracts, meaning they're showing you a dollar amount per month. Typically, the person pays out of pocket who has a reimbursement policy. They send receipts into the insurance company. The insurance company approves or denies that receipt. If they approve it, then they're reimbursing that policyholder up to how much they paid or that monthly maximum benefit. The other way, and you're starting to see this become more prevalent, and this is what Brighthouse does, but it's called indemnity benefits or cash indemnity benefit, meaning you have your monthly maximum benefit, you qualify, you satisfy it in elimination period if the policy happens to have one. That company is just going to simply send you a check for the monthly maximum benefit, regardless of how much you're spending. If you're spending over the monthly benefit from the policy, you can get up to the monthly maximum. If you're spending under, you can still get that policy maximum as well. People have been gravitating more and more towards those indemnity benefit designs because it comes to them as cash. They do not have to send receipts into the insurance company showing how it's been approved. And if I'm underspending that monthly benefit, you still get the full policy dollars sent to your bank account. So you can essentially bank whatever you're not spending in case those expenses accelerate as conditions change over time.
1: Sounds like a lot of positives for having the discussion about receipt versus indemnity.
2: Agreed. I mean, people should definitely know what they're signing up for, right? So make sure, hey, if I'm going reimbursement, I understand what that means and I'm comfortable with it. If I'm going cash indemnity, I understand what that means and you're comfortable going with it as well.
1: And again, these are bigger conversations. This is something that we can help discuss with you, help you to make that decision for what's appropriate for your specific needs before receipt or indemnity. How does somebody qualify for payments? I think we call it ADLs or activities of daily living.
2: So in the hybrid model or traditional long-term care policies, even life insurance policies with the death benefit, the qualifications have become fairly industry standard, but definitely make sure you read your specific policy language. Typically, the qualifiers are somebody is unable to perform two of the six activities of daily living. You may hear them referred to as ADLs. But what those are, are bathing, dressing, eating, continence, transferring, and toileting. So if something happened, hey, I fall over, I break some bones, this person would go to their healthcare provider with the claim form from their insurance carrier, and then have their healthcare professional say they're unable to perform two of those six activities of daily living. You send that into the insurance company, and that's going to start your claim process, the other way would be if someone is diagnosed with some sort of cognitive impairment, like dementia, there's 200 plus forms of dementia, Alzheimer's being one of them, but that's the other way to qualify. So you are diagnosed with dementia, your doctor signs the claim form, you send that form to insurance company, that's going to trigger claim and benefits being paid off from the policy as well. Gotcha. So it could be both. You could have an ADL trigger and the cognitive trigger or one or the other to turn on these policies typically.
1: All right. So we talked about activities of daily living, a little bit of cognitive ailments. What if we back up for a moment? I know you mentioned already underwriting. What does underwriting look like? Is there something that I could kind of say to myself, well, I fall into this category. I shouldn't even have this conversation or where's a good place to start there?
2: So underwriting, the one thing I would stress is companies do not say yes to everyone who applies for a hybrid policy or a traditional long-term care policy. There's definitely qualification and health standards that need to be met. So, one thing I would say work with your financial professional, right? Every company has what's called a pre qualification checklist, which is they're trying to screen people out where if there's any immediate known issue that might disqualify somebody, you know, hopefully we're not having them apply if, if they're going to be declined. But underwriting really across the board has been transitioned to what's called streamlined underwriting or simplified underwriting. So, you know, I always tell the story, Tom, about When I graduated from college, my dad had co-signed for some loans and was paranoid about 22-year-old Gabe dying and then him having to pay all my college loans. So he got a life insurance policy on me. It took several months to issue. Lady came and weighed me, paramedic exam, all that stuff. Now we're talking about people that are in their 50s or 60s, right? If we're talking that target market and it's simplified underwriting, meaning it's going to be a phone call. At worst, they're going to have to pull medical records. And then the company is going to say yes or no to you. Depending on age, add a cognitive screen to that as well, and depending on company too. But really, you're talking about, can I spend an hour tops either filling up that medical information over a phone call, doing a cognitive screen, and then the insurance company will do the rest of the work for you, and then say yes or no to coverage. So it's really about setting aside that time. Do I have an hour to dedicate to this protection? And then hopefully we get that yes, or the client gets the yes at the end of the day.
1: Right. Right. And I'd share with everyone too, when we're talking about underwriting, Gabe mentioned pre-qualification checklists. So I did have clients that went through this process. They didn't have anything that would trigger any additional medical underwriting or medical records, but we went through the underwriting, Gabe. I would say it probably took 24 to 48 hours to get a response back once that application was filled out and submitted. And again, when you say simplified, I just want to let everyone know there was no paramedic exams. There was nobody that came out to the house. There was no blood taken, anything like that. So it is a pretty easy process unless we have to dig a little bit deeper and ask some more questions as well.
2: Exactly right. We're trying to eliminate those objections. The easier we can make it for people to get these policies, hopefully the more people that will pursue coverage.
1: Let me ask you, I have a homeowner's insurance. I do not want my home to burn down. I have car insurance. I do not want to crash my car. We have all types of insurance like that. With this long-term care insurance, I don't want to go into a nursing home. I want to cover that risk. I want to sell it to Bright House so I don't have to worry about the risk out of my financial plan. But with that said, I don't want to use it. So what if I don't use it? What if I die? What if I want the money back out? What other provisions are available to me in this program or this
2: policy? So Bright House specifically, let's say you don't use the policy and you pass away without ever accessing the long-term care component of the contract. Hybrid policies like what Bright House offers have a death benefit. Your beneficiaries will get the death benefit and then the policy will be over. The other strategy, and it depends on the company, right? Some companies have the ability to redeem your premium and that gets graduated out over the years in terms of it starts lower than over the years of holding the policy You could eventually get 100% return of premium. Bright House is a little bit different where it's a cash value. So what is the cash value of your policy if you ever want to exit? But every company, at least in the hybrid space, is going to have some sort of ability to redeem your money out of the policy if you choose to walk away at some point. I would say if you look at the industry, sub 1% of people are ever redeeming a policy like this because there's just so much value in there. The longer you hold it, that long-term care benefit is growing for you. It just doesn't make sense to redeem the longer and longer we hold these contracts.
1: Right. Again, it's a big topic. I have two more things that I want to hit on before we kind of wrap this up today. So I'm going to give you both at once, and then you can give us your thoughts on these. Sometimes we hear about policies available at work, maybe group policies Is there anything you could discuss about that? Anything to tell us to look out for or consider when looking at group policies through work? And then the last thing, mandated long-term care coverage. I know the state of Washington recently enacted or they tried to enact back in January of 22, requiring everybody to have private long-term care coverage. Otherwise, they're going to force it through a state program. Can you just touch on those real quick? Group policies at work and what's going on on the state level?
2: Absolutely. So I'll start with group policies. I've seen group policies through a private employer. I've also seen group policies for people that are employed with the federal government. I think it's worth looking. What are those benefits? Is it competitive? What are you paying it to them? What does it look like when it's imported? Imported means I've now left that employer. I can take that benefit with me. What are those costs? It's important to consider. I've had people go that route where they can't qualify for a hybrid policy. But because it's offered through an employer, it's easier to qualify for that contract or that particular policy, you can't deny it to somebody who's employed by either that federal entity or that private entity, right? So it's certainly worth considering. I would say they're always what's classified as traditional contracts, though, meaning there's not a cash value. You have to pay into it until, like you said, with your house and your car, right? If something happens to your house, something happens to your car, Those are how those policies work where you don't get value out of them unless you have that long-term care event. But take a look at employer policies if you are offered one, whether that's government or private. Second, to answer your question about states mandating long-term care, the idea on why states are doing it like Washington is states pay a lot of money to Medicaid patients And those are people where they don't have the assets to fund a healthcare expense themselves. So therefore, it becomes a burden of the state that they live in. So it's Medicaid, which is different than Medicare, right? So Washington implemented it in 2022, had to put a pause on it. So it's really going to be implemented here in 2023. California and New York are other states that are very close to implementing their own form of this legislation. And if you kind of look at the map of what states have considered it, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, Alaska, Hawaii, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Michigan, right? There's a lot of states that are starting to take a look at this. How can we shore up some budget deficits? And in Washington, if these other states that are considering it make it similar, the only way to get excluded from an additional income tax was to have your own private long-term care policy. So if Illinois does it, if Michigan does it, right, these Midwestern states, We don't know what that legislation will look like, but most likely the states are seeing what's working for Washington, how's it going to look for California in New York, and then kind of make their own tweaks to customize for their particular state too.
1: And I know it's hard to predict the future and decide what states are going to do, but we know the trend is heading towards this way. kind of gives more validity to what we're talking about today. So the way it's written right now in Washington, would our conversation today, a hybrid long-term care policy... Would that satisfy that state
2: mandate? It did in the state of Washington, right? So what Washington did was they literally listed out insurance companies and their policies that would qualify that person for the exemption. Back in 2021, I'm in Illinois. I did a lot of policies, surprisingly, for people in the state of Washington whose advisors happen to be here in Illinois. So it's definitely where states will make it clear on which contracts would qualify somebody for that exemption if that state implements a similar legislative tax. So we would have clarity on that as those laws are being rolled out in someone specific state.
1: Right, right.
2: You know, one thing we didn't cover, Tom, is cost of care. I know you said $8,000 for a nursing home. Yes. If we're talking to 60-year-olds. Most people, if you look at the stats, two-thirds of claims, people go on claim age 80 or older. Hey, what's care going to cost when I'm roughly 80 years old? So if you look at men, men are on claim about two and a half years, statistical average. Women are on claim about three and a half years. So what I did was I just looked up cost of care in Chicagoland area in 20 years from now. So for men, if you stay on claim for two and a half years, it's about $519,000 they're going to spend on healthcare costs. For a female, it's about $727,000. So for a married couple, if they both go on claims, they're just a statistically average couple, it's about $1.2 million just to fund their healthcare costs in 20 years. To bring this all back together, have the conversation, figure out what plan is right for you and have a plan by design versus, I hope I have $1.2 million in excess of my other spending available for those needs in the future. I know for myself and my wife, We're not saving so that our investment dollars can go to the healthcare facility down the road, right? You want to have a plan to protect those dollars so they can go to the people that you care about in the future or the causes you care about.
1: Right, exactly. Those are big numbers. And financial planners, we generally answer the questions, do I have enough? Can I retire? What can I leave to my children? And We could come up with some of those assumptions, but if we add in long-term care expenses into the financial plan- It's going to change each one of those answers and sometimes not a good situation to look at. So, Gabe, with all that said, I'm going to wrap it up today. I want to thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. You make a long term care conversation a little more exciting to talk about. So, I know that's not easy to do, but thank you so much. (laughs) Appreciate it. For everybody else, again, we just kind of scratched the surface on this. We would love the uh, opportunity to talk to you a little bit more. I think if you look at what we talked about today, planning for the possibility of long-term care gives you the time to learn about available options and what they cost. And it also allows you to make important decisions while you're still able to make those decisions. And that's why we're here. We can evaluate available options and help you make the best decisions in addition to the financial planning services that we do here at Alliant Retirement and Investment Services. So now is a great time to create or review your financial plan with us and see if long-term care coverage might be appropriate for you. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Invest Savvy, Advice You Need to Know. To learn more about our hosts, Kristen Chapluha and Tom Davia, and the team at Alliant Retirement and Investment Services, please visit our website at aris.alliantcreditunion.com. If you have questions for our hosts, you can submit them through our website or email investment-services at alliantcreditunion.com. Kristen and Thomas Davia are registered representatives with and securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. Alliant Credit Union and Alliant Retirement and Investment Services, ARIS, are not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. Registered representatives of LPL offer products and services using ARIS and may also be employees of Alliant Credit Union. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates which are separate entities from and not affiliates of Alliant Credit Union or ARIS. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by NCUA or any other government agency, not credit union guaranteed, not credit union deposits or obligations may lose value. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision investing involves risk including the potential loss of principal. no investment strategy can guarantee a profit or protect against loss neither lpl financial nor its registered representatives offer tax or legal advice always consult a qualified tax advisor for information as to how taxes may affect your particular situation